Let's just bow for prayer as we continue. I just want you to ask the Lord just to fill you with His Spirit today. I believe God wants to, to produce healing, encouragement today. Let's just pray as we continue in worship that His Spirit would have a freedom to minister and just uh, bring life into these mortal bodies. Father, thank you for the privilege of worship. I thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters who are here on campus, those who are watching by way of live stream. And we just pray that you would just reach down, wrap your arms around us. We speak peace and blessing and health. Father, just magnify Christ, Lord, in our hearts. And I just pray your spirit would just blow, Lord, through this room and through every household who's watching. And Lord, just bring life. And so we just commit it to you. We surrender to you fully today. In Jesus' name, amen. Great to see you today. Beautiful weather. Haven't we had some amazing weather? I mean, it's just been incredible. I appreciate the quilt over here. Uh, Pat Ross made the quilt, and she said it took her 30 days. I don't know how that's possible. But anyway, just kind of in honor of our veterans, so we appreciate our veterans. Always good to take time to recognize. And we have so much freedom in America, and I'm always appreciative of the men and women who serve this great nation. This morning, as we continue through the book of Job, we're finally going to get to the real issue of Job. We've spent three weeks just kind of getting up. Today, we're going to introduce what the real problem in Job is, and then we're going to take another Sunday or two to kind of conclude everything, but just kind of re uh, review the book of Job. Lots and lots of questions in the book of Job. As I mentioned last week, I just kind of came to me, it would have been really awesome if Job could have turned to the book of Job when he was going through it and read it and find out what was going on, because we always get encouragement. But we believe Job was the first book actually written down. So when you think about Job or his three friends, they didn't have any scripture to turn to and look to for comfort. I mean, they didn't have any scripture written down yet. So a lot of questions in the book of Job. One of the questions that challenges us as we go through the book of Job, is God enough? If God were to strip away things in our life, and we've all been to mountaintops, we've been to valleys, but is God enough? If God, is God truly enough if we go through and allow things to be stripped out of our life? Hopefully the answer is yes, that He truly is enough in our life. James 5, we've kind of looked at each week. Uh, James refers to Job. He says, you've heard of the perseverance of Job. You've seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. I will always remember that and think of that as something God has given me as I've been going through the book. Uh, again, just personally, I've never really thought of the book of Job as revealing God's unbelievable compassion and mercy, but it really does. And so hopefully as we're going through storms and valleys and struggles, we can experience God's compassion and God's mercy. How long did Job's suffering actually last? We talked about it a little bit last week. We know that after his suffering, the Bible says he lived 140 years. So he had a really good life after the suffering. But how long did the suffering last? Again, we're not told in the Bible. My personal uh, opinion is it was a matter of months and days and not years and decades. And the reason I believe that is from Job chapter 7, verse 3, 
when it says the Amplified Bible, so I am allotted months of futility and suffering and long nights of trouble and misery are appointed for me. So he described his suffering in terms of months and days instead of years. But again, to be really honest, when you're really, really suffering, one day is a long time to really, really be down. So months would be a very long time when you think about that. So I mentioned last week, one of the things the book of Job reminds me is that there's a parallel universe going on at the same time. Now, Job did not understand that, but we look back because it's recorded. We understand that while Job is on earth suffering, up in the heavens, there's a, there's a parallel universe going on that's much bigger than what we experience down here. And so when you think about this timeline, God has always existed. He always will exist. And so when you think about time, the time that we're on this planet is really itty-bitty. So even the earth itself, I've got Genesis 1-1 over here. It says that God created the heaven and the earth. We know that earth itself was created by God. We know in Revelation 21-1 that one day there's going to be a new heaven and new earth. The Bible says the first heaven, first earth are going to pass away. So this earth was created by God. It has a, a shelf life on it. And so even earth in the scheme of things, is not here all that long when you think about everlasting to everlasting. So when we think about Job's life, we think about an itty-bitty dot. I mean, his, even though he may have lived to be 200 years old, that's not very long when you think about everlasting to everlasting. And so it would be just that little bitty dot there, and that dot represents, again, about a 200-year period. So when he's going through life, it seems like he is surrounded and, and just totally engulfed with what's going on in his life. What he doesn't realize is there's a parallel universe going on above what he can see, that God has always been here, God will always be here, and everything that he goes through in his life has an eternal purpose. And that's what we have to remind ourselves. We see life and we see the mountains and the giants and we get overwhelmed. Just relax. Know that there's a parallel universe, that God has something much bigger in mind. And who would have ever dreamed that Job's suffering would literally be used by God to help generations and generations and generations and millions of people to be encouraged? You know, we on this side don't understand suffering. But you know what I thought about this week? If I were to ask you what was the most important moment on earth, what was the biggest act of God's love? I think 99% of us would say Calvary. That that was the expression of God's love like no other. But yet that, that, that expression of love was a time of deep suffering for Jesus. Who would have ever dreamed that God would have chose the depths of suffering to reveal his love and his grace? So I just want to tell you that while we're going through stuff on earth, just know that God has a bigger plan, that we can't see it on this side, because I don't like to suffer in the flesh. I'm just telling you, my flesh doesn't want to suffer. I want to live on the mountaintop. I want to live where everything's good. But again, we have to understand that God has an eternal picture in mind, and we learn that from the book of Job. And so as we've talked about Job, it's kind of like an onion. God begins to peel back 
layers in his life. And he peels back layers because he ultimately wants to get down to the core issue in Job's life. And today we're going to find out what that core issue is. Again, as we think about the book of Job, people say, well, it's about suffering, it's about perseverance, about patience, and those things are very, very true. But if that was all the book of Job was about, it would have ended on chapter 2, because all that was stripped away, he still was faithful to God. But there was something God was trying to get to in Job's life. And have you ever thought about, because one side of me says, why would God allow Satan to put Job through all that? Why would he do that? God was allowing Satan to touch Job because ultimately everything Satan did was for Job's good and for God's glory. And God was going to allow some things to be peeled out of Job's life to get down to the real core issue in Job's heart. So first of all, we had the introduction of Job in the first five verses of chapter 1. God allowed Satan to take Job's stuff away, and so that layer was kind of peeled back in his life. God allowed Satan to touch his family, so all of his family was taken away. Layer by layer, God began to peel back things in Job's life. And then in chapter 2, God allowed Satan to touch his health. And again, from the top of his head to the sole of his feet, man, he was with sore boils. And just again, to give you an idea of how much he suffered, he took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself for relief. When was the last time you had to scrape yourself with broken pottery just to get some relief? I mean, he had to be suffering big time. So his health was taken away, but he still did not curse God. And then his wife had her breaking point in chapter 2. She finally comes to Job and says, curse God and die. He even had to deal with his wife asking him to curse God. The temptation would have been there. But even through all that suffering, he did not allow that to be to affect him and he did not curse God and then his three friends came and again there's plenty of criticism for the three friends but even though I think they meant well they came they gave seven days to sit and to watch Job but even through that Job had to deal with that chapter three that we looked at last week was Job's mind I mean he really battled mentally But today, we're going to get to the real issue of Job. Job got through all that, losing his possessions, losing his stuff, losing his health, dealing with his wife, wanting to curse God, dealing with the three friends who weren't so encouraging. All of that, his mental struggles, he's finally going to get down to the real issue of Job's life. And let me just say, the issue we're going to talk about today is the toughest thing to get to in the human life. It's the last thing that we let go of what God deals with in Job's life. So chapter 3, as we mentioned last week, again, I'm not a very good artist, but I think I've captured chapter 3. Job was in tremendous darkness. He was struggling mentally. He was cursing the day he was born. He was cursing the day he was conceived in his mother's womb. I mean, he is down and out. He is in the basement digging holes. I mean, he is really, really down and out. And so chapter 3, he begins to pour out some of his struggles, some of his discouragement. Now his friends had been sitting there with him. You remember how long they were sitting? They were sitting for seven days. No one said anything because they saw his grief was great. But even though they didn't say anything for seven days, their mind was thinking. How many of you, if you ever get into an argument, you're thinking about what you're going to say while they're talking? Of course, you guys probably aren't that way. You're spiritual. 
But so they're, they're thinking, seven days goes by, no one says anything. Finally, Job speaks up and shares how discouraged he was. And so today we're going to look at 28 chapters. So everybody take a deep breath. We're going to make it through 28 chapters today. We're just going to kind of skim through 28 chapters because most of the book of Job is a discussion about trying to analyze what's going on in Job's life. And so let's kind of look at it. So chapter 3, he kind of shares his discouragement. Chapters 4 and 5, Eliphaz has a go at it. Many believe Eliphaz was maybe the older of the three because they let him speak first. And so he says this. And I'm just giving you kind of the highlights, chapters 4 and 5 in verse 2. If one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? But who can withhold himself from speaking? He says to Job, in essence, can I get real with you? I mean, I, it's hard for me not to say something. And all three of these friends, by the way, later God will say that they really didn't know what they were talking about, that they said things about God that were not true. And, and by the way, not only the three friends, but even Job himself, for the most part, all of this discussion, they're speaking with supreme authority out of the vast storehouse of their ignorance. They didn't really know what they were talking about. There's a lot to learn here about arguments. How many of you know in arguments, you don't get many converts? In this argument, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, it almost get monotonous, nobody budges one inch. Everybody keeps their ground. At the end of 28 chapters, no one has been converted. No one has seen life from the other side. So he's saying, who can withhold himself from speaking? He goes on to say, and, and notice what he says about Job. This tells you the kind of person Job was. Surely you have instructed many. You have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling. But now it comes upon you and you're weary. I mean, it tells what kind of a person Job was. He had to be a tremendous encourager. But then he says, he kind of gives a dig there at the end. Now you're going through a little trouble and you're whining. I mean, no mercy. I mean, there is no mercy here as they're beginning to judge Job. And again, human nature, this is one of the first books written because it deals with one of the problems that goes back to the very beginning. We have a tendency of humans of judging a situation and trying to analyze what God is doing. And I just want to tell you up front, we would be better not to do that because we don't have a clue what God's up to in the bigger scheme of things. He goes on to say, uh, Remember now, whoever punished being innocent, even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. How? He's saying to Job, and again, they didn't have scripture to go to, they're just saying that from our observation, those who are going through trouble have been evil. I mean, boy, they are just, they got him down and they're stepping on him. How many of you have ever had somebody not understand what you're going through and they just step on you? And I mean, boy, you talk about a critical spirit, it gets pretty rough. So Job fires back in chapters 6 and 7, and he says, in essence, uh, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed, and my calamity laid on the scales. It would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been harsh. And so Job says, in essence, you guys don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the heartache. You don't know the heaviness that I'm going through. I mean, they're just firing back and forth. And again, through all these 28 chapters, no one budges an inch. 
Everyone holds their ground and everyone stays in their, in their particular thought life. And so he goes on to say, Job, does the wild donkey bray when it has grass? Does the ox low over its fodder? In other words, if things are going well, there's nothing to complain about. He's saying the reason I'm complaining, I am struggling. I mean, these guys, by the way, these three friends would not be on your hospital visitation list. They would not show much grace when they went to the hospital. Can you imagine them saying, what have you done to deserve this? You must have really been evil. I wouldn't want somebody saying that right before I went into surgery, amen? And so anyway, they did not have the gift of mercy. We know that. So in chapter 8, Bildad has a go at it. He says to Job, how long will you speak these things and the words of your mouth be like strong wind? That's not good to use in an argument with your spouse, by the way. A lot of hot air going here, Joe. Man, you're just really blowing a lot of hot air. That's one you don't want to remember, all right? And so, again, there is no mercy with these guys. I mean, they are merciless. I mean, they're just so brutal. You think, how could they be that, that ugly? But human nature is to judge what people are going through and to somehow believe that they must have done something evil. Now, it is possible you could rebel against God and he sends you into a storm. That is possible. But it's also possible that would be right in the middle of God's will and suffer. Jesus suffered on the cross like no other, and he was right in the will of his Father. So sometimes God wants us to suffer. All right? So he goes on to say, Bill, Dad, if, this, is, this is probably one of the lowest blows right here. He says, if your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away for their transgression. That is cold. He's just lost ten children. And he says to him, your children must have sinned big time and God zapped them. You wouldn't want him speaking at your child's funeral. Again, no mercy, no grace, and there's something about the human heart that is very, very judgmental against other people. He says to Job, if you would earnestly seek God, if you were pure and upright, surely he would prosper you. I mean, man, he is now critiquing Job and saying, if you really had a good heart, God would help you. In other words, saying to Job, you must be evil inside. I mean, merciless. I mean, just all these words, back and forth, back and forth. How many of you know words can do hurt? Even though we have that saying growing up, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's not true. I bet you if we were to be honest, those who are listening, most of us have been scarred at some point in our life from words spoken to us. People making fun of us. And kids are brutal. Kids are brutal. Kids have a way of something about your name, something about your appearance. Kids can be extremely brutal. I tell you, I grew up, and, and people would say about me, what do you get when you put your finger in Roger's ear? Johnson's wax. And then they would talk about baby powder and all this stuff. And, I mean, they just made fun of my name. They made fun of things. And, and even though we laugh about it, I mean, again, those words can definitely scar people in life. And so again, Bildad is not given any comfort whatsoever. So Job pleads his case in, in chapters 9 and 10. He says, in essence, why have you brought me out of the womb? Oh, that I had perished and no one had seen me. Again, he's just saying, I wish I would have never been born. I mean, he's just doubting the goodness of God and why he's struggling in life. 
And so Zophar has a go at it in chapter 11. Zophar says, should not the multitude of words be answered? Should your empty talk, and boy, that's, again, empty talk. That's not one you want to use with your spouse, all right? He says, so your empty talk make men hold their peace. Should no one rebuke you? I mean, they almost felt like they were doing God a service by rebuking Job, but he is down and out. I mean, this guy is struggling. And man, they have no comfort whatsoever because, again, they're basing it on their, I guess, their experience that he must have done something really, really bad. Chapters 12 through 14, Job defends himself, and part of what he says is really good. Part of what he says really has a lot of faith, and this is one of those things that's really positive. He says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. That's good. Man, that's good to say, though God slay me, yet I will trust him. That was really good. But then he goes on to say this, even so, I will defend my own ways before him. Here the central issue of Job begins to come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this is what I believe is the central issue of the book of Job, and that is his pride. He says... I will defend my own ways before God. I'm going to defend myself no matter what. I just want to tell you, you don't have to defend yourself before God. Now you may say, how do you know that pride is a central thing? Because it's going to begin to surface in this discussion. Next week we're going to look at Elihu, a young man who walks on the scene, and he sees the pride in Job's life. Five chapters, Elihu talks about Job's self-righteousness. And after Elihu is done, then God chimes in for four chapters. And he says to Job, if you think you know so much, how about this? And he rattles off a bunch of questions which Job had no answers. Now when God chimes in, how many of you know you've got to the central issue? All right. So once pride begins to surface, the whole book of Job ultimately changes. That's why I think pride is the central issue of the book of Job. So here it just slightly comes to the surface in chapter 13. And so Eliphaz gives it another go. There's three rounds of discussion, and after three rounds, nobody moves an inch. He says, should a wise man answer with empty knowledge, talking about Job, and fill himself with the east wind? He said, Job, you don't have any knowledge. You're blowing a lot of air there, Job. I mean, again, it's just really cruel, the things that they say. So Job fires back, chapter 16 and 17. He's a little bit angry. He says, miserable comforters are you all. Shall words of wind have an end? He says to him, you guys are pathetic. And they were pretty pathetic. But again, I think they meant well for them to come. And then he says this to the the three comforters. If your soul were in my soul's place, I would strengthen you with my mouth and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief. He says, if I were in your shape, I wouldn't be unloading on you. I would have compassion. And maybe he would have because he had that, that reputation. So again, he's really struggling. He says, my spirit is broken. My days are gone. The grave is ready. I mean, he is in the basement. He is down as low as you can go. You know, during this COVID thing, I've had the privilege of touching base with our church family and friends who have gone through the COVID, and several have gotten so down, so discouraged, they literally have thought that they were ready to check out. I mean, they were down as low as you could possibly go. 
And so I just try to encourage, try to love on them, just try to, I'm just, you know, but man, this really works with your mind when you get so down and depressed and Job is in that place. So Bildad gives it another go in chapter 18. He says, how long will you put it into words? Gain understanding and afterward we will speak. Boy, that's pretty cruel. He said, Job, get a life, get some wisdom, and then we'll talk. I mean, this discussion was really pathetic. By the way, we can learn a lot from the book of Job about arguments. How many of you know? How many of you know nobody gets converted in an argument? Don't look at your spouse right now, all right? But I mean, we just talk back and forth, and we just, you know, words begin to come out. And so again, just no one changes. So chapter 19, uh, Job again makes a pretty amazing statement. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and, I, and he shall stand at last stand on the earth. After I am destroyed, my flesh will see God. That's pretty positive. I mean, really, it's pretty amazing. Job makes some really, really statements of faith, but then he turns around and says something really totally off base as well. But this is one of the positive things that he says. Uh, Zophar gives his final argument. He says, the increase of his house will depart. His goods will be lost. This is the portion from God for a wicked man. So again, he's saying to Job, you're getting what you deserve because you're wicked. Very, very tough on Job, his words. Uh, Job fires back. He says, listen carefully to my speech. I think he probably slowed down. Listen to my words. He says, bear with me that I may speak. And so here Job knows that they're not listening and uh, he's not listening to them. In chapter 22, Eliphaz gives his final argument. He says, is it any pleasure to the Almighty that you are righteous? So there again, he's picking up on pride. And let me just say this. Pride is something that other people can see in your life that seldom you can see in your own life. But even Eliphaz begins to recognize pride in Job's life. He says, or is it gain to him that you make your ways blameless. And so again, he sees that self-righteous, that pride. And even though that seems cruel, this really is an issue in Job's life. Because next week, again, we're going to look at Elihu, this young man who comes on the scene. And even he sees the pride in Job's life. And then God follows Elihu. And again, he's going to rip off some questions to Job. But once that pride is exposed and Job gets right with God, the whole book changes. I mean, everything changes for Job once the pride comes out and he admits that he didn't know what he was talking about. Once he admits he doesn't know what he's talking about, God says, now that you're wrong, you're right. Now that you realize you don't have a clue, I'm going to defend you. Pride is one of the last things that we let go of in life. And again, it's something we can see in others. We hate someone who's very proud but seldom can we see it in our own life. And if you think this sermon was for somebody else, you might be that person, all right? And so Eliphaz gives it a final go. And so chapters 23, 24, Job is still not getting through. He says, my complaint today is still a bitter one. I will try hard not to groan aloud. Bildad gives his brief and final blast here in chapter 25. How then can a man be righteous before God? How can he be pure who is born of a woman? And so again, no one budges an inch in all the monotonous arguments going on in these chapters. 
Chapters 26 through 31, again, this is where the real issue of Job begins to surface. Job says in chapter 27, Far be it from me that I should say that you are right. My righteousness I hold fast. I will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. Here's the real issue of Job was his self-righteous attitude. Now, even though the Bible says in the beginning he was blameless and upright, he was very mature, he was not perfect because there are no perfect people. But pride, one of the things the book of Job, the very first book to be written, deals with one of the age-old problems in the human heart, and that's pride. I mean, think about it. Everything was stripped away from his life. He stayed true to God. The hardest thing that he dealt with was pride. I mean, to let go of his righteousness. And he says here again, my righteousness I hold fast. I want to remind you there's only two kinds of righteousness one is our righteousness, and the other is God's righteousness. And when you're holding on to your righteousness, you're not choosing to take his righteousness. And so everything Job went through, I believe, was to get this pride to surface in his life. And you're going to see next week that once the pride surfaces, and once God deals with pride in Job's life, the whole book of Job changes. God was waiting for that to come to the surface. And so the Bible says these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. They finally got to a point to say, hey, there's no use talking anymore. He is so proud, he's not willing to budge at all. Now, even though these three friends had a lot of bad things to say, they still saw the problem in Job's life, and that was pride. Now, again, that may seem cruel, but again, once that surfaces, the whole book of Job will change. And so the central issue of the book of Job, all the layers that God allowed to be peeled out of Job's life, it all led to that really, that core, that central issue in his life, that was pride. By the way, if you kind of want a simple definition of pride, you just take the middle letter of pride, and that tells you the problem. It's I. By the way, the middle letter of pride is the same as the middle letter of sin. It's I. You know, pride is that thing that wanted Satan to exalt himself above God. Pride goes back, and again, the last thing we let go of is our pride. The last thing we let go of is our right to be right. It's so hard to humble ourselves and say to God, God, I don't have a clue what you're doing in the overall scheme of things. I just bow before you. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination. The very first one is a proud look. I'm telling you, pride is the hardest thing in the world to give up. And the book of Job, and even though it deals with perseverance and suffering and patience, I think the central issue of Job is the pride in his life. And again, we're going to see next week, uh, uh, once that comes to the surface, the whole book of Job turns around. I want us just to pray together if we can. What are the life lessons real quick? I think number one, we need to be careful not to judge people, right? There's no way in a human mind we can ever judge what's going on in somebody's life. We need to learn from this passage today not to judge people, but to learn to pray for people and to know that God has a bigger picture in mind. 
And if we could understand and truly believe, no matter how difficult life gets, that I know that beyond me there's a parallel universe where God has an eternal purpose in mind, and I have to trust my Heavenly Father. If the election didn't go the way that you wanted it to go, I mean, again, we can either go crazy or we can trust and put everything in our Father's hand. we got to trust our Heavenly Father that He's going to get us through this thing. I want you to stand together, if you will. I just want you to kind of build an altar right where you are, those who are at the Gerald campus, just right where you are, and if you're watching at home. I just want you just to build an altar right where you are. I wonder how many of us could be genuine enough to say, Lord, I don't really know what's going on. I'm not going to defend myself before you. That God, without you, I am nothing, and yet through you, I can do all things. I wonder what would happen if we could just humble ourselves before God and just get rid of the pride. It is probably the most difficult thing for God to deal with in your life. And just thinking about that, just to ask you, when was the last time someone came up to you and said, I'm struggling with pride? Very seldom do people even think about it. Maybe you're here today for the first time in your life, just right where you are, just to pray to receive Christ into your life. It's going to ask all of us just to surrender ourselves to the Lord and just to admit to God, God, I don't know what's going on. I cannot analyze what's going on, but I know that you're in control. And Father, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting in your righteousness. If you're here this morning and you need someone to pray with you or pray for you, we'd love to have you stick around. We'd love to take time to pray with you. If there's something that's going on or a decision that you need to make, again, we'll be around. We would love to talk with you. Want to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to close with a song. On your way out today, for those of us who are on campus, we're going to be taking a dollar offering for the Thanksgiving food baskets. We're in that season that we do a dollar offering for four or five weeks in a row. Don't feel like you have to put anything in there, but we try to pick out 20, 25 families and try to provide a nice, uh, we call it a Thanksgiving food basket. We really don't do the turkey. We really try to provide a box full of food that would help a family for two or three weeks. And so if you know of a family that could use some help, we would appreciate that as well. We want to make sure it goes to families who can really use it. So we appreciate our church family. And so the basket will be back there. If that's something that God lays on your heart, don't feel like you have to do anything. But 100% of what we collect will go to provide food for a family over the, the holiday season. Love you guys. I thank you for the book of Job. And can I tell you, the person that needs the book of Job more than anyone else is me. I struggle with pride. It's one of those things that you forget about and sometimes you begin to think everything else is the problem in life and it really comes down to the pride in my own life. And so I, I'm so thankful for the book of Job. There's so many incredible lessons in it and I hope that our life is forever changed by going through it. 
Let me pray and then uh, we'll close out with a song. Father, fill us with your spirit. I thank you for your faithfulness. And God, when at times I try to analyze what's going on, God, I, I would just be better off to not try to figure it out. But just submit to you and know that you have a bigger plan in mind. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring about every detail of our life. And I pray today that not one person would walk out of here holding on to pride. That, God, we would be completely broken before you and just submissive to you. Do a work in our heart that we would forever change. Fill us with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Whosoever surely needeth me, surely